All right. Well, welcome back to the For Many People's Strengths podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Nugabauer, and we have a very special guest here. It's Matt Gurley. Oh, he's also a very special guest. <laughs> it's my partner as usual, Matt Gurley. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jamie? Great. And then, uh, yeah, our very special guest, a uh, CONCACAF Gold Cup champion, uh, a man that played for Canada for a long time, that was uh, one of Canada's Ironmen for a while, and uh, we were just talking about that. We're talking about it again now that Alistair Johnston has uh, taken the top of that list. But uh, it is uh, Carlo Corazin. Uh, Carlo, thank you so much for your time. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Exciting yeah. time in uh, the world of Canadian football. Yeah, it is exciting. You know, I I just started. I, I, I'm a little bit ashamed, but I just started uh, Josh Cloak's Voyager's book. Uh, you know, talking about the last whatever 30, 40 years, bad at math, uh, since Canada last played in the World Cup. Have you have you had a chance to read that book? Is it a bit of a blast for you or what? Well, it's funny. You, you just started. I haven't yet. And actually, oh, okay. it's been brought up, again, the times that we're in. It's been brought up in the last couple of weeks a few times. So I put it on my Christmas list coming up to get. Okay. Well, there you go. CJ, CJ, if you're listening, Carlos... Uh, Carlo's boy, who, uh, I, for those that don't know, Carlo, you know, a longtime Canadian men's national team uh, player, and then his son, CJ, happened to play in the same league that I cover, like hockey league that I cover really closely. And, uh, and I was trying to get CJ to come to Notre Dame, partly because I thought CJ would help the, the, the junior team, also because I just wanted to talk to Carlo more often. But, you know, what, it, there it is what it is. Uh, Gurley and Carlo, I'll throw this question out to you guys, you know, what were your takeaways? We'll start with you. Uh, we'll start with you, Gurley, since uh, since I already asked Carlo a question. But uh, what were your takeaways from a two to one victory for uh, Canada over Japan in a in a pretty much a big boy friendly win for Canada? Uh, lots of good takeaways. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, big picture, is that uh, Junior Hoyle looks to be in great form. And if there is a question about Alfonso Davies starting on Wednesday. Um, I think he made a really good case that he should be starting. So in the, in the big picture, that might be the biggest thing we take away. But um, I thought defensively they, they got smarter and tightened up and, and um, were much more man-tight in some of those things that we've been talking about, maybe needing to see as they go up those levels. There are some good moments where they tracked runs well, cut out passes well in dangerous times. Um, you know, Obviously, the, the, the goal was a case where they were a little uh, slow to see the danger. And I think there was just a miscommunication on that chance where they hit the post because um, Larry was a little bit too far up the pitch and it didn't look like Kay tracked that run. But all in all, very good defensive performance as well against a pretty decent side. But um, as ugly as the Bahrain match was, I think you saw the players that played in the Bahrain match were so much sharper. Uh, that's the best I've seen Mark Anthony Kay play in a long time, probably in a year. Um and it was great to see those guys just looking a little bit sharper because, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys are going to need to play a role once the tournament gets rolling. So um, those were really nice to see. And I guess the other big thing was that Tiba Hutchinson looked uh, looked like a Tiba Hutchinson, which was really reassuring. Um, you know, I don't know if he's got 90 minutes in too often, and I don't know if we're going to see him playing consecutive matches. But um, if he can go 60 or 70 uh, twice in the group stage, that's mm -hmm. just a huge benefit to the whole group. Yeah, Canada's final friendly. Uh, you know, Carlo. You know, I, I asked you too. Former your former teammate Atiba Hutchinson. Uh, that is 
That is wild. Uh, great. As you said, they're really great to see him back. Uh, Carlo, what were some of your takeaways from Canada defeating number 24 in the world, Japan, right there? Yeah, I think overall, I didn't get to watch the game live, so I, I went through it quickly later as I was traveling on the day. But <clears throat> I found um, a lot to what Matt said. I thought they were a lot better. I still believe um, that is going to be the one crutch Canada has is defensively. Um, I think going forward, they're so explosive. They're so creative, so dynamic. And I don't think they'll have a problem. And ironically to me, again, watching the highlights, the problems that did occur to Canada were when Canada was in possession. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to my days in England with Ian Dowie. He used to preach all the time when in, possess when in possession, be in position. Mm. And all that Japan scored is an absolute spot-on exact uh, scenario that may end up costing Canada. I mean, no disrespect to the Japanese team. Very good, good on the ball. But they are not Kevin De Bruyne. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they are not Luka Modric. Mm -hmm. And those are my concerns. And that's why I do believe John Herdman's a very intelligent man. When he sets up teams, he sets them up to start a game in a, in a, in a situation that's going to benefit Canada. And that's why I believe Canada will absorb a lot of pressure and give nothing in behind and try and hit people on the counterattack and surprise people with their pace and power. Yeah, no, great, great point. I mean, you know, to your point, Gaku Shibasaki for Japan, the, the LFNS midfielder did put uh, Soma in with an inch perfect ball. But as you said, like that is... That is the level that Canada, the world that Canada is in right now. But, uh, you know, absolutely learning, learning that uh, mistakes will burn you faster at this level is kind of the thing. Is there, I was wondering, I guess I was thinking about it. Is there anything you feel like maybe that, you know, was drilled into you when you were on the national team that, uh, that, that maybe if you got up in front of the national team today that you would pass on to them? Well, the big thing is, 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 is the stage that they're on. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest, Jamie, like as much as I played in the gold cup, it was fantastic. We, we went on to win it, um, played in the confederations cup, played in some qualifiers. Nothing's the stage of the world cup. I never mm -hmm. got the, unfortunately, but these guys are now on a next level stage. And we're talking, you know, I remember we used to say, you have to take your half chances and count the gap mm. in the world cup. The elite strikers take, like an eighth of a chance mm -hmm. and they'll put it in the back of your net. And mm -hmm. that's the difference where Canada is going to learn and, and have to adjust because a fragment given to somebody at that level, they will punish you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, another point that you made that, uh, that Japan is not Belgium when you were talking or Belgium or Croatia even, but uh, one of the points that Gareth Wheeler kept making was that, um, what's his name shiuchi gonda in the in the in the net for japan is not thibault courtois he's also not you know i think believe i believe daniel's number uh, japan's number one is uh daniel schmidt the the saint truden uh belgium uh, leaguer there and they also have the french veteran there eg kawashima so the gonja gonda guy might be the third string keeper as well and so he was he didn't look did not look comfortable you know, getting up for a lot of balls in the box with those big Canadian guys. And obviously you blame to some degree, the center back pairing there of Ito who plays for Stuttgart and Taniguchi who, um, you know, who, who who's a Japanese uh, domestic, but I don't think that's going to be Japan's center back pairing either. So what Japan put in front of Canada from a defensive point of view, 
as well is, you know, yes, it was a team that is going to compete and is good, but it's not going to be the defensive prowess of a Belgium or a Croatia. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. talking, you know, they those guys have players that play in Champions League week in, week out. Those teams have guys that have done it for 10 years at that level. And again, no disrespecting Japan because they are a very good team or technically on the ball. And it was a great result for Canada and it was a good performance. But let's just, you know, put everything in perspective here that, like you said, they played their third string goalie. They played the center back that's probably not going to play. Um, on the flip side, Canada played a couple of players that I believe will probably um, only come in off the bench. There's a few there that I don't think will get many games. I mean, respectfully to Piet, again, another kid that I crossed over with. I'm not so sure once the games come thick and fast how much he will get. Um, so, you know, let's put it all in perspective. A great result. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a great platform to be going into the World Cup with. But, you know, everything's got to be put in perspective. And I, I think it's a great result. Mm-hmm. It was a good performance. But uh, we have to definitely moderate how exciting that result was. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think any reasonable Voyager, any reasonable Canada fan will say, oh, they beat Japan 2-1, you know, on a last second uh, Penenka that shouldn't have gone in probably. But uh, it's either in or not. That's the world. That's soccer, right? It's either in or it isn't. But uh, it went in. Lucas Cavallini's Penenka went in. And that's fine. But uh, but yeah, I don't think anybody's suggesting that Canada's going to go on and win the World Cup now that uh, they've, they've defeated Japan. I just think, Gurley, like, it's a big, it's a good step, right? Like, we, we they talked about, we, we and we've talked about even in this podcast already, the the step up that Belgium's going to be, Croatia's going to be, how fast he'll get burned, um, you know, everything like that. Like, there's there's some middle ground between, I think, between taking absolutely nothing from it because because you have to take the positive and, and use that as fuel in this world and and then being you know having your head explode and saying we're gonna go on and, and win the World Cup even even dare I say get through the group like that would be a, a quite an accomplishment uh, at this point so so there's so, Gourley, there's somewhere in between there right that we can that we can take from this right oh, absolutely and I, I I kind of love living the middle ground you don't get too uh, overreacting either way. Uh, you know, we talked before the match, no matter the result, it was really about the performance and, and the way they played. And I thought that was pretty positive. Japan did start some of their starters. They also started some guys that I don't think we'll see the pitch very likely. Um, and they started some guys that are probably kind of their, their, their first choice off the bench. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. It was certainly a, a closer to a first team for Canada, but obviously without Davies and, and the stack, you know, those are two huge losses um, in, in the context of the team. But um the Japanese press really didn't get out of second year the way it can, but they, mm-hmm. they're they a good side. They're, they're disciplined. Um, Canada creates some chances. The set pieces were so bad against Bahrain. To see them look pretty good was, was heartening. And I, I don't really think that they did anything elaborate. I think we'll see some, some things off the training ground uh, come the actual World Cup. I think they were trying to show their hand, and even still, they, they were fairly effective. But as you said, Gonda never looked comfortable on winning balls in the air, and they didn't track runs great. I Gonda started against the U.S. He might be their guy. I don't. I really don't know. I don't think. I don't think Kawashima is really likely to be there, be used. But uh, I know Schmidt had a bit of an injury, so mm. um, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm not that that tuned in with what J- Japan's going to do. But um, 
No, I think just in terms of crispness, in terms of seeing some positives, mm-hmm. um, and just being a little bit tighter and a little bit more aware. I, you know, Adam Cooper cut out some, some nice dangerous balls. Um, Johnston was close to being in the right spot, but not quite against Uruguay, and it burnt him a few times. And it sort of felt like, okay, on MLS, you can get away with that maybe, especially when you're playing wingbacks much of the season. But, you know, if you're having to mark guys in the box of the caliber he's going to face, you better be absolutely goal side, like touch tight every time or else you're in trouble. As Carlos said, you know, an eighth of a chance is going the back of the net. So um, mm-hmm. it's a nice moment there where he looked a little bit more aware. Um, Vittoria got exposed a couple of times and would have been booked, I'm sure, in a real match. But um, by and large, I thought that was a very good Stephen Vittoria performance um, and kind of the level we saw in qualifying. And so that was heartening as well. Um, Kamal Miller had, uh, had, you know, a bit of good and bad, maybe not as, as much of his A game as we saw from the others, but, um, to Carlos point that defensively, they really need to be absolutely laser focused for 90 minutes, um, to contend the types of teams that can't, they're going to face even, even Morocco has such quality in the final third. Um, and, and I, I, to his other point, I agree completely that, um, I think Canada needs to live in being a counterattack team in place to their strengths, and they need to be really disciplined and hold their shape and be very aware when they're in possession not to uh, get exposed. If we go all the way back to the um, the, the Nations League match in Orlando against the U.S., um, mm-hmm. just really quickly, a little turnover, and the U.S. was down their throats in, in the back of the net, mm-hmm. and that happened two or three times really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they learned from that lesson, but... Uh, it's going to be even worse against the caliber teams they face. Um, and one final thing, um, another match against a top team where they didn't survive the first 10 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. That can't happen at the World Cup. Uh, if you want to play a counterattacking style and um, try to, you, know, you need to not let the team, their opposition um, take the lead, let them sit deeper, not worry about um, your pace those sorts of things. If, if you can have them start bringing the game to you and open themselves up a little bit more, it's just going to play into Canada's hands. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you make a great point there, Gurley. And, and Carlo, I got to ask you, man, like, so reading, reading the book, one of the things that uh, Tony waiters in 86 seemed like he was trying to hammer it out, hammer out of Canada was this notion that they could play at all and be kind of play sexy football and move it around and and you know be aggressive offensively no we are canadian this is how we're gonna play and clearly clearly like john herdman's trying to like he's not about that right they're about they're about playing their brand they got alfonso they got the stack blah blah they got weapons but then but then the, what Gourley is saying is they also need to like worry about being in being a team in trans that's in transition and playing defense. So where's that space, do you think, between you know the naive naivete of thinking that we're gonna be Barcelona and Tiki Taka everywhere and and everything we've seen that burn Canada, you know, before where they tried to be we're just gonna hold the ball and be fancy and and a, a loose touch and then the ball's in the back of the net like in the States. And then, and then, sort of the old school, and no disrespect to to eras, maybe that you were a part of, where it was just like, please, like, let's get like a one nil, you know, hang on for dear life, kind of that we've all seen too. Where where's the world between that? Well, the interesting thing is, all those worlds exist within mm-hmm. one, and mm-hmm. and really touched on it. It's, I mean, 
let's be honest. If a team of the caliber of Belgium or Croatia go up one nothing mm-hmm. to get the ball back, they will keep it in their end and mm-hmm. make you come out and expose you. Mm-hmm. And then they'll try and hit you again. So yeah. that's where we're saying it can't happen. Like you you gotta stay in a game in the first 15, 20, give nothing away, be solid. Now, the fact that if Canada goes ahead one nothing, they can't go and think, okay, now we're gonna go and dominate this game and possess the game 60 to 40% against the Croatian Belgium because they'll entice you to do that and then hit you on the counter. So it, it's going to be a very, very, very um, big game of chess within mm-hmm. the game. And these guys, as I've said to you, and as everybody knows, these guys have done it for years on end, especially that Croatia team. I mean, the uh, the guys that they have in there that have done it year after year after year, and not just Modric, like they've got first they got guys that they know how that, that, that chess game plays out. So Canada, again, and I've, I've stated this, no matter how well or how, and I don't want to use the word poorly they do or how average they come out of this World Cup, this is all good leading into 2026. We're not thrown in the towel here mm-hmm. in, in Qatar because I do believe they still have an opportunity to get out of this group. Mm. As crazy as it sounds, they do. And if they get off on the right foot, which is the Belgium game, and I mean the right foot in a sense that they could even lose that game by marginal score, that's still a good progression for Canada. Mm. Don't want that to happen. They can come out of there with a draw, sneak a win. That's even way better. But if they can just come out of that relatively unscathed, not getting hammered, I think they will build against Croatia and then against Morocco. So, again, talking about where do we lie, we're going to need to possess the, the ball at times, especially in that heat, and if if the game dictates that now you need to slow the pace down. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing for me is they're going to be a compact defensive team that's going to absorb and then all, all of a sudden hit people on the counter. And with the pace and power that we've talked about with Davies, Buchanan, David, Stacchio, these guys are, are going to draw people into fouls. If you can get to the point where they follow you twice and they're gone. Now you've got a numerical advantage. So there's a lot of games within games there, but mm. by, f- by no stretch of the imagination, these guys are, meaning Canada, the best Canada team I've ever seen. Mm. Not only from a point of view of attacking and, and, and going forward, but also just individual skill level to possess that ball. Yeah, absolutely. They're, and and they've they've shown uh you know in their club forms what well, you know even more than well also for the Canadian national team but you know Tejan in the Champions League he's shown what he can do and Estacio is lighting up the world and in in Portugal and everybody knows Alfonso etc so you're right like we go we've gone through the list and we'll go through the list um, and then you talk about that drawing fouls that leads me to my next 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 question I wanna I wanna zone like zoom in for a second on set pieces and you know you've been in so many soccer locker rooms carlo and and you know guys who get paid a lot of money you know big egos national teams you know whatnot and, and the delivery from junior hoylet in this game against japan was perfect like it was it was immaculate you know we've seen deliveries from steven Estacchio be perfect and immaculate but then you know we all love alfonso davies who doesn't but it seems like he's the one that seems to be taking the set pieces. Now, do you think, and is it is it every soccer team is different? It or do you think it's or do you think it's 
like regular consistent in a soccer team that the guy who's the, the biggest man, the biggest ego, the biggest, you know, name, he's the one that ends up taking that, that those set pieces, because I actually don't think Alfonso's best anywhere near his best abilities are actually in set pieces in corners in sent delivering balls, even shooting, you know, from set pieces. I think junior Hoylet's better. I think Steven Estacchio is better and, um, whatever, how, how do you kind of, how do you kind of see that, that element playing out or am I, you know, reaching for nothing? No, I don't think you're reaching at all. I, again, I do not know. I'm not privy to this. Um, mm-hmm. but if I was a betting man, I would say that, uh, Estacchio is going to take every single free kick that's available out there. And only because he's quality, he's not a big, uh, man to be on the end of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, not that he is slow, but when you have the recovery pace of an Alfonso Davies that could stop a counterattack, my my guess is be that Estacchio is going to be on the ball taking the free kicks, and and uh, and Mr. Davies is probably going to be sitting on the top of the box just in case it does break down. And to me, Estacchio has unbelievable quality. Now, I'm only saying Junior Horlett doesn't because I just don't see him in the starting eleven if mm-hmm. everybody's fit. Mm-hmm. But if he does play, which I think he will, he will get a start maybe in the second game or something, yeah. then he will probably be on, on the ball depending on which side they want to play it on. Mm-hmm. And Estacchio and him will share that responsibility. But I don't see um, either one of those two not being on the ball. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to touch a little bit more, Jamie, on going to Cavallini's penalty shot. And as you guys know, I took them regularly for Canada. I think he got lucky, and he yeah, did. I'll say, yeah, I don't think you need to be like a a, a player like a legend like you to see that got lucky. But, but yeah, <laughs> but the bigger thing that I'm going to lead on to the luck part is, in my opinion, he now doesn't touch that ball in the World Cup. Even if he does find himself on the mm-hmm. field with a penalty to go, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you can say, yeah, go ahead and take it because nowadays with all the analytics and video, everybody's seen that around the world. Yeah. He's been stopped on that once before, and now he's going to be doubting himself. So there's mm. no way in the world that this guy can stand up Canada and take a penalty in the World Cup if he is on the field in that opportunity. So that's another set piece that you're mm. talking about um, that I just – I think basically that game against Japan has created mm. uh, the no-doubt scenario that he won't be taking it. Interesting. Gurley, what do you think about the the decision that to put even well, first of all, to put Cavallini like on the field, and then Carlo, as you were saying, like he scored on the goal. So you're saying he's not, you didn't get confidence because he scored. I mean, it, it, do, you, do you think Cavallini? You guys both think Cavallini's definitely ahead of Ugbo. I is that what it, is that what this uh, shows? I I didn't think so on. Wednesday, but now I'm starting to wonder. I I would have thought Ugo was ahead in the pecking order, but Cavallini got in and Ugo didn't. So uh, read into that what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised they had Lucas take the free kick or the penalty kick. And um, as soon as he stepped up, I thought, please just don't finake it because he does it so often. <laughs> but he did. That's I what just, John said too. I mean, everyone knew he was probably going to do it, and he did it. And I, yeah. you know. I, I certainly take Carlo's point about uh, the confidence, but I actually don't think he suffers from any lack of confidence. If he ever gets another one, I think he'd panenka it again. So, oh, man. Um, 
certainly, I hope that's not in the World Cup. Um, Laren's been a good penalty kick taker despite missing one in his debut for Club Brugge this year. Um, David's certainly capable, and I don't know if everyone knows this, but Stephen Vittori is an excellent penalty taker. He's got a really good record in Portugal for, for scoring penalties, and once he's, I think he had seven goals, which sort of jumps out at you, but I think five or six of those are from the spot. So there are options. There is no reason um, that uh, Lucas Cavalier should be taking a penalty in the World Cup if and when he's on the pitch. Yeah, but Carlo, like obviously, you you had so many things that so many situations that happened. You're saying that Cavallini won't have will will be doubting himself after that Penenka, even though it went in. Really, absolutely. Because if you look at the Penenka, he didn't even take it well. Mm-hmm. He, if you're going to take a proper Penenka, you're going to go straight down the middle, and it's going to, yeah. in a perfect world, be a foot underneath the crossbar. Well. He's about four feet under the crossbar, and he actually hooks it to the side of the goalie's side yeah. by the goalie. Hand. So it's not a well-taken penalty. Yes, does he score? Yes, does it go down on the score sheet? No question. And I used to be the one that would say, it never says, you know, goal Cavallini bad. It just says good for him. Yeah. But what I'm saying is it doesn't exude confidence because now, as I say, him standing up wherever that next penalty shot is going to be mm-hmm. taken, for him, whether it's Canada, well, it's not going to be the Whitecaps anymore because they've released him, so I don't know where he's going to end up. But that doubt is in his mind. And um, you don't need that going into a huge tournament uh, of that caliber with a striker like that. And then I'm going to just touch on the egg bowl thing. I think, again, not knowing anything, um, that was almost a thank you to Cavalina and respect mm. to play. I think Igbo's way. I think he plays ahead of Cavalini in this in this tournament. Mm. Not only is he young, younger, he's stronger physically. Um, the heat's going to play play a factor, um, and I just believe that he is going to be one of the strikers in the next four years that's going to be pushing for a starting spot on this team come twenty twenty six. So getting him experience, whatever that may be, bits and pieces along the way, are invaluable. So to me. I think mm-hmm. he scores ahead, and Gurley, I think you're right. I, I think nothing changes from a week ago. I just think that that was more of a token of thank you very much. You've been, you know, a, a consummate pro for us, and 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 here's your appearance, kind of thing. Mm. Well, fair enough. So then that takes me to uh, my next question. There, Carlo, you played with guys who played for Vaunted Unattached FC, Canada's uh, one of one of the terrible uh, teams to come into a national team camp. I'm sure with. But uh, you know how how did, how how did you see those guys? Were they were they was was it hard to be around them? How, like that dynamic must have been a, a little awkward. What, what's that like with uh, an unattached guy in camp? Well, I mean, unfortunately, in our era, there was multiple, and and a lot of times we'd go into camp, and there would be three or four of them, mm-hmm. um, and and a, a lot of times not because the actual player wasn't a good player obviously no. well and nobody thinks lucas cavallini is a bad no. player either yeah. no it's just circumstances yeah. but i mean back in our era there wasn't a lot of options for canadians to play um now um there are multiple multiple more options and 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 you know hats off to and i always say this you know I, we had the likes of frank yallop craig forrest kind of open the door for our, us younger guys to go to europe and i always say alfonso's kicked the door open Mm-hmm. And that's why you're seeing um, 
world soccer find an interest in Canadian soccer players now because of Alfonso Davies. There's no doubt about it. And um, so now there's more guys out there. Like we looked at Stephen Victoria. They thought he was going to come into this World Cup unattached. He found a team, which is great. It's great for Canada. Um, the fact that you're going to have, I guess, Cavallini for sure, and then I don't know if there'll be any others. It's a little bit of a circumstance thing. Um, Cavallini won't be without a team um, yeah. for very long. He's a good enough player that will find a team at, at a certain level. And, you know, when you look back at the guys that came into camp, no, we all respected each other the same way. It was just happened to be circumstance why they were without a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think Gourley, you can back me up on this. I think James Pantamus, maybe the other uh, unattached FC, is that right? Yeah, and the very confusing move from Montreal to release both Pantamus and, and Breza, though I'm a huge fan of John Sirbo, who's playing for Valor and Canadian Premier League, but to 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 only have a, a 21-year-old unproven keeper in your ranks um, when you could have, I think, keep, kept one of the of the other two keepers to have at least some of the MLS experience. Uh, it was a little confusing why you would mm-hmm. just let Pantabas go. And, and Karifa Yao had another great season. They let go, and Vancouver snapped him up yesterday. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I got a lot of faith in what Montreal's doing because they, they seem to have a really good plan in place, and it's working well for them. But there were some, some head scratchers with the players they released this past week. Yeah, playing with fire. There you go. So, uh, Carlo, I should say that Gourley knows everything about like everything in soccer. That's not true at all. It is pretty true. (laughs) Maddie, do you have any questions about? I know you uh, you paid even closer attention to you know Carlo's career back in the day. I know you were uh, a big uh, Champo Champo fan for years and years. Do you have any questions for Carlo? Um, I guess maybe I'm just curious about how he felt club form translated to his national team form. Cause that's something we've talked about with a player like Kyle Laren, who's obviously not in, in good form for his club and not playing much, but um, it certainly felt like uh, with yourself, Carlo, when you were, when you were in pretty good club form, that seemed to really carry over to the national team. Did you find that to be the case? Absolutely. Girl. I mean, I look back at, you know, what I would say was my best run on the national team was obviously the pre qualifying for the gold cup and then winning the gold cup with Canada. Um, yeah, I was at Northampton town and it, it was a vein of form that pretty much anything like we talked about, I'd get half a chance or something. And it was in the back of the net sometime, not the most glorious of goals, but it just found a way to score. And I remember clearly distinctly, we were in San Diego just before the game against Mexico that we ended up knocking them out and we were doing a finishing session and uh, you know, I was crossing full-time volley and things were just flying in. And I remember Holger with his whistle came running across whistling and everybody thought, Oh no, what's happening. He came up to me and he said, you go in enough. (laughs) And I thought, well, I guess he sees like, and it was just one of those times in your life that it just all went in and you're right early. Like with, with, uh, with Laren, it's not the greatest scenario. But we all know he's scored goals for Canada. So, you know, he's going to be in the mix. You know, uh, I I would think, again, not knowing anything, but if it comes to a formation change and they're going to go with just the one striker, I would suspect David would get that shout ahead of Laren right at this moment in time. But the nice thing about it, again, it's not back in the days when you had two subs. I know I'm dating myself, but... You've got the a ton of subs, so if if that David experiment doesn't work or that one striker up front, 
he can change it with Alaren coming off and, and I don't think it's going to hurt you. So I, I, yeah, it's not the best of scenarios really. And yes, I would suggest that when you are playing very good football at your club team, it does translate to the national team. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I think also this team has proven, um, and it's not ideal to say this obviously, but this team has proven that they're often more than the sum of their parts too, as a collective, I think. Um, you know, we, Gourley and I, we talked a lot about wondering whether this back line was good enough to just qualify for the World Cup. And and they've proven that, again, by being phenomenal in in, uh, in CONCACAF qualifying. So I think as a squad, they're, they're more than, you know, their their form and they're more than where they're playing and, and everything like that. That, that. that kind of an element is, is something that we also have to, you know, constantly remember. But I also have to ask you, Carlo, like, you know, every every soccer player, you know, every athlete, you know, has had to approach a big game or a big moment or a big tournament, you know, with with a nagging injury or, or something where they actually haven't had to play. You know, how challenging do you think it'll be for Alfonso, even for Steven Estacchio? We don't really know what's going on there to just flick the switch and, and be ready to try to be as sharp as they possibly can. Is that is that a person by person thing? And do you have any experience from that? <laughs> I do, and it is a person-by-person thing, but I'm going to state for both of these guys, let's go with Estacchio first. So I've been following this national team very closely in the last month, and they post a lot of training videos and stuff like that. I'm telling you, Estacchio is ready to go. Mm. Not playing yesterday was just a complete precaution by Herdman and himself. This kid's Mm. ready. He's been playing week after week. So I don't think there's any doubt there. With Alfonso very similar and in my in my estimation i'm no fifa agent he is the best <laughs> left back in the world mm. and if i'm Bayern munich yes i want him to be amazing at the world cup as much as canada does and right now they are basically priming if you want to put it you know fine-tuning the ferrari before they let him go and mm. i think john's probably been in contact with them they're probably both on the same page you know this this kid could ultimately i know it sounds crazy as i say it but if he has the world cup that he can have he may be the highest transfer market in europe after the world cup i don't think byron will let him go for very easy but you could see something crazy happen with him well he's according to transfer market right now he is worth i believe 70 million euros i think that's what it said yeah, 70 million euros. And he was as high as 80 million before. So we could see a Canadian worth triple digit euros, <laughs> which is just like GDP of a country for one uh, one Canadian kid. Uh, that's that's pretty pretty amazing. I, I also got to ask, you know, I don't know how, how do I word this question like Carlo, uh, I know, you know, so many national team guys from the past have been done an amazing job, you know, uh, cheerleading and being super happy for these guys, and and I have no doubt that you're that you're just you know super thrilled uh, for to see that you know what's going on. Is there a pit of you where it's like a little bit painful in your heart where you're like, oh man, like I wish it was like this in terms of all the commercials that we're seeing and and all the press and all the fans that we saw when Canada qualified against Jamaica. Like, is there a little a little tiny bit of envy in you? Oh, there's no question. They, the envy comes from <laughs> not, not succeeding where they have. Yeah. Um, 
none of that envy is yeah. is is detrimental to the team that's there and what they've no. done. I mean, it, it is absolutely amazing. Do I wish we had done that? Hundred percent. I mean, yeah. it's every boy's dream from you know uh, being a little kid. Whether you're the kit man, whether you're the coach, whether you're the player, you, you want to go to a World Cup. Um, you know, I I you know both my boys wanted to go to this World Cup desperately and the time of year it was and where it was, I wasn't prepared to do it. Um, do I wish I was there? Of course I do, but, but trust me, we'll be there, you know, <laughs> on the ground when it comes 2026 and not just in Vancouver. I mean, Vancouver is going to be a great venue, but we'll probably venture into the States and find a hub where there's a really interesting, you know, group based out of a certain area. So am I, again, answering your question, am I envious? I'm very envious in the fact that I wish it, would have been us in our, our era, but nothing against this team. No. And hopefully I, I really believe they're going to go and and really uh, cement their spot saying that they're not out of place there. But the other thing I want to touch on and just going back, what you guys touched on the back line, the back line is still of a concern, but what yeah. we have to remember is we have two back line guys on the outside in Alistair Johnson we talked about came from league one three years ago not even and you have to remember atakubi was kicked to the curb in vancouver mm. you know he basically was given away for free they didn't yeah. they, they didn't think he could be good enough well these two guys in the last 18 months to two years have been phenomenal maybe even to the point that they're the best two defenders no disrespect to to uh victoria and and, and kamal miller but these two on a consistent basis could have been the best two defenders throughout the qualifying. So for those two to come out of the woodwork and, and prove to themselves that they can be there and integrate themselves in a, in a very good team already is, is, is nothing but amazing for those two young gentlemen. And, you know, there's another two that may get, you know, moves that are in Europe, big moves that they can have the type of world cup that they've showed leading into the qualifying. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Again, guys who have put it all on the line for Canada. We saw you mentioned Atacubi. We saw the famous heritage moment where he jumps into the the snowbank in Azteca. Uh, you know, Sam Atacubi is all of us, right? Like he's excited, clearly just jumping into the snowbank. So hey, you know what? I didn't I didn't mean to try to like I wasn't trying to cause like radio guy shade or or whatever. Well, I wasn't anything trying to cause drama. I was just like, you gotta you gotta be like, man, like I wish I was on this team right now. But hey, oh, who yeah. who wouldn't? Oh, I mean, as a striker that relied on scoring goals in the box, could you yeah. not? I, I mean, wouldn't that be a dream to have Buchanan on one side, Davies on the other, and a stacky yeah. feeding you all? Yeah. No disrespect to the guys that I played with, but no. that's that's a striker's dream. So, yeah, good on them. Yes, do I wish I could roll back the years, twenty years, and put on that jersey number nine and go out there? Yeah, but mm -hmm. it's not me. And hopefully, we can go and uh, produce the goods. Yeah. So. You don't know what I'm talking about. Canada beat Japan 2-1 yesterday. Uh, today's the 18th of November. Uh, Gorley and I will be back to make a full preview. Carlo, if you want to join us, we'll make a full preview in a couple of days of uh, Belgium, who is actually playing their final uh, friendly right now against Egypt and have a pretty full-strength squad for the most part. De Bruyne and Hazard behind Batshuayi in front. That's a pretty good front three. But we'll talk about that uh, in the future. But uh, Carlo and uh, Gurley, thank you guys so much for your time. And uh, Gurley, uh, safe travels. Thank you too, eh? Thank you.
Yeah, thanks, thanks for your time, Carl.